Our scripture reading today comes from Luke 18, 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Seriously, how long have we been waiting for 2021? It feels like a decade, doesn't it? So many times throughout this year, 20, this past year, 2020, I have wondered, when is this year going to end? I felt like a little kid in the back of the car saying, are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? No. But then on Thursday, December 31st, the moment we've all been waiting for finally happened. The ball dropped in New York City. There was rejoicing and merriment across the land. And I, for one, put my head on my pillow with a smile on my face that night. And then the next thing I knew, my alarm went off early on January 1st. And you know what? Everything was still the same. It's still winter. It's still COVID. It's still hard. It's still this. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't light at the end of the tunnel because there is. There's a vaccine coming. There's warmer weather coming. Easter's on its way. But for now, in this time between, in the waiting, it's still really hard. And I think we're tempted to lose heart. That's the phrase in our scripture today that stands out to me most. We might lose heart in our calling to love our neighbor as ourselves. We might lose heart in our love for God's people. It's been a really divisive year. We might lose heart in God himself. Nothing tempts us to doubt his goodness like hard times do. And we might lose heart in Jesus' kingdom his work to bring his reign over every sphere on the earth. We might wonder, is Jesus actually doing anything? And if he is, why is it so hard? And what do we do about it? We're starting a new series uh, start, uh, this January that's going to take us through Easter in the book of Luke. If you've been with us uh, for this whole year, you know we, we started in Luke and we've slowly been working our way through this whole gospel in uh, different chunks throughout the year. We wanted to end uh, on Easter with the resurrection story in Luke, and we want to look in between at Jesus's kingdom, the kingdom that he's bringing. What does, what does he say about it, and how do we fit in? And today, Jesus begins that conversation with a parable, uh, which is a little story that Jesus uses to illustrate a specific point about his kingdom. And I'm so glad that we're starting here because he begins with those of us who are tempted to lose heart. That's what Luke says in verse 1. He says, Jesus gave this parable that they might not lose heart. Jesus gives this so that we might not lose heart in his kingdom. So let's take a look together. So if you brought your Bible, 
Turn to Luke 18. We're going to look at the first couple of verses together. Uh, it starts with a judge. Okay, this is verse 2 in Luke 18. He says, In a certain city, Jesus, there was a judge. Jesus says this. Just like today, in the ancient world, there were judges with kind of local jurisdictions. We don't know exactly how all of that worked out. But you would have judges where you could go with specific grievances to get their help from. Again, we're not totally sure how all of this worked, but we know judges had a lot of power because they were basically the only recourse you had if you had a problem. So it really mattered who these judges were, their character, their integrity, because they were essentially the final protection in this society uh, of the most vulnerable from the most powerful. So judges existed to protect the weak. People like widows. That's the next character Jesus gives us here in verse 3. There's a widow looking for justice from this judge against her enemies. And Jesus doesn't give us all the details of what the problem is, probably because he imagines we can figure it out on our own. Because being a widow in the ancient world and at this time of Jesus was extremely precarious. Given the marriage practices and the life expectancy uh, at this time, this widow isn't necessarily old, but she's very vulnerable. Her husband's property generally did not pass to her in the event of his death. It would go to a male heir. So perhaps a son, that would be ideal. But if there's no son in the immediate family, it might go to a close male family member, a brother, a cousin, an uncle, someone like that, or someone who could actually be really far away. And while the husband may have asked for provisions to be made for his widowed wife after his passing, it was really up to the living to fulfill that desire. And it's sad to think about, but most widows, many widows were never cared for and even ended up being sold into servitude to pay off debts. And basically, if no one wanted to help a widow, no one needed to. So this widow here is likely being taken advantage of after the passing of her husband. Perhaps he requested provisions for her, provisions like a place to live on his property, uh, a certain amount of money to live on that her, the new heir is refusing to honor. It's like, I don't care what he wanted. She, so she's in a really desperate situation which makes what Jesus says next so dire. She goes to a judge for help who, in verse 1, neither feared God nor respected man. That's really terrifying. This, is, uh, this, this judge has no interest in being obedient to God or fearing God is the idea, which is bad enough. But he also doesn't seem to care about his own reputation or what others think about him. This probably means he's an extremely corrupt judge. He's open to bribes, to influence from the outside, whatever, right? Looking the other way. And he puts very little effort into covering that up. He's, a, he's bad news. He's incredibly bad news for this widow. And he's also this poor widow's only option. So verse 3, she kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. The idea here is that day after day, the judge would come to the gates of the city and he would set up his little booth or his tent for people to come and see him. And he looks out at the line to see what's on the docket for the day. And every day that same woman is like first in line. She spent the night waiting. Jesus tells us in verse 4 that he keeps refusing her. He dismisses the case again and again, over and over. But no matter how many times he tries to get her to leave him alone, she comes right back, first in line, with the same complaint, give me justice against my adversary. 
And then finally in verse 5, the judge says to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. So the judge finally caves, not because his Grinch-like heart grows uh, two sizes, right? Because he's suddenly heartwarmed, but because he's annoyed, he's tired. He waves the white flag. The woman hasn't reached him. He hasn't changed, but she has outlasted him. Her perseverance has won the day. And Jesus wants us to know how thoroughly she's beaten this unjust judge because the phrase that he uses that this widow is beating him down by her incessant presence is actually a term used in Greco-Roman prize fighting. It literally means to beat someone under the eye, to beat them black and blue. She's won the fight is the idea. Now you'd expect Jesus at the end of this parable to give his lesson something like this, and that's why you should always pray continually. That's why you should persevere. And I don't think that's irrelevant here, but he doesn't do that. He goes back to the judge. Listen to verse 6. He says, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? And this is why most scholars of this parable uh, rightly name it not the parable of the persistent widow, but the parable of the unjust judge. Because Jesus' whole point is how unlike the unjust judge is to God himself, who is always just and always honors his people's request for justice. It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. The whole parable kind of implies a how much more statement. Jesus' point is even if an unjust judge will give justice, how much more God who is always righteous and just, which is all well and good. That's a great lesson. But here's the thing. There's a reason Jesus sets up the parable the way that he does. In fact, in the passage just before this one, in Luke 17, uh, Jesus talks about the expectations his followers should have at the coming of the Son of Man, which is another way of saying at his second coming. He says, when I fully bring my kingdom, here's what it's going to look like. Then he gives this parable about how hard it can be to get justice and to feel heard in the time between. We started the sermon Uh, with this year and how hard it has been, how difficult parts of 2021 might even be. But the danger of losing heart is more than just our moment. Over the course of all of our lives, we will often feel like this widow, alone, unheard, unprotected, unnoticed, scared, defeated. And Jesus's main focus is how will people respond? How will God's people respond to that kind of adversity before my kingdom is fully here? In other words, Jesus knows that the conditions of the world right now in this time between will tempt God's people to stop asking for his kingdom to come. But we must not lose heart. And now the persistent widow becomes a lesson for us. She is not uh, the point of the parable, but she is the hero of the parable. So what do we learn from her about not losing heart? As we begin this series on the kingdom Jesus brings, what is going to keep us engaged for the long haul. I think there are a few key characteristics of the parable that will give us some guidance here. First, we must be desperate for Jesus's kingdom, desperate. When Jesus paints a picture of our world in this little story, he paints a very desperate and dark picture. I mean, take a minute and really think about this. He starts off with the judge. 
someone with structural power in his community, right? He has disproportionate influence on his city because of his position. And rather than using that power to love and serve the most vulnerable, which is his job, he simply becomes another cog in the wheel of injustice and corruption. And not only is this man corrupt, he's cynical. He's openly cynical about it. You know, at least have the decency to hide that you're a bad judge. But Jesus goes out of his way to show, no, this guy doesn't care even what you think about him, let alone what God thinks about him. He's completely shameless about his evil, which is really scary. It's dark. Can you imagine that kind of corruption in the legal system? And then he immediately follows that up with this poor widow. And like I said, we don't know exactly what's going on, but just imagine how evil a society has become when a woman who's just lost her husband and is no doubt still grieving that loss is now being harassed by this unnamed adversary. Someone who's literally trying to rob a woman of her home and her dignity, her ability to support herself, and perhaps even young children that are with her. And the system, right, the community doesn't care. I mean, where's her advocate? Where's her help? Where are her neighbors to rally around this woman and help? As far as we know, they're nowhere to be found in the world of the parable. There's just a sh like a shrugging of the shoulders. It's like, well, that's just how it goes sometimes. Life's hard. How sad is that? It's depressing. But the woman has no other choice. It is the hard work of persuading this unjust judge or nothing. She knows she can't do anything without his help. She needs him. He is her only recourse, so her desperation drives her to seek justice. And our desperation must drive us too. We too live in a broken and dark world full of evil and corruption. There are moments in all of our lives when we are confronted with the scary truth that over the most important things to us, we have precious little control. Especially kind of in our cultural moment, we work really, really hard to convince ourselves that we have control and power in our lives. We work really hard to prove to ourselves that we can pretty much predict the future and we can control our circumstances and we can make sure everything is okay. But at some point along the way, life reminds us that that is not true. We are confronted by our broken bodies, by our broken relationships, by the injustices of the world, and we remember we are in way over our heads. There are things here we cannot solve. So take a minute and think about even your own life or your own experience of the world right now. What overwhelms you? Perhaps it's uh, something personal. It's like a difficult marriage or the choices of a parent or a child that are, that are scaring you right now. Or an addiction you feel you cannot control. Or depression and anxiety that sneak up on you and threaten to paralyze you. Or it could be something more cultural, societal, something bigger, like reading headlines about the state of our country right now, fear around this virus and the havoc it can still wreak in the coming months, the global evils that we see in the news every day, genocides, oppression, the worst of human evils, the evils in our own society that feel like they stubbornly persist no matter what we do. Those things should overwhelm us. They should. But if we are to not lose heart, we must not move to despair. We must move to desperation. 
praying to our just judge for justice, for his kingdom? Are we desperate for Jesus' kingdom to come? Does the brokenness of the world drive us back to him and not away from him? Okay, that's number one. Number two, we must contend for Jesus' kingdom. Contend. I like this word, contend. Sometimes in my life, I get a little passive in my prayers. And, and here's what I mean by that. It's like when I'm talking to God, I may feel really strongly about something. But rather than expressing that, when I'm ready to ask for help, I, I often ask kind of meekly and mildly, Lord, it would be nice if you did this. And there's a place for that. Don't get me wrong. But Jesus' picture of prayer through this widow is anything but meek and mild. She's a fighter. She takes the judge to round 10, round 11, round 12, and she outlasts him, Rocky style, right? This is, this is the picture of a contending prayer. I think prayer should feel like a fight sometimes, even with God, our just judge. This, by the way, is not unique to the widow. Read, read the whole Old Testament is full of contending prayer to God. And sometimes for us Westerners, it almost looks like a recklessness with God, the way people talk to him in the Bible. But God welcomes this. Think about Abraham when God considers his judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham negotiates with God, and he negotiates him all the way down to one righteous person, person to save the city. It's this amazing conversation. Abraham wheeling and dealing with the Almighty Think about Jacob, who literally wrestles with God through the night, and he lives. In fact, that fight is a critical summary and pivot moment in his life story. It changes his relationship with God forever. And he is renamed Israel, which means he contends with God. Think about Moses, who in the mystery of prayer, and I, I can't even explain this, but he convinces God to have mercy on his people by offering his own life instead. There's a whole other sermon in there somewhere, but we won't go there. Job, the prophets, Jesus himself, they all have moments of contending prayer with God. Do we contend for the kingdom like that? Do we pray as God's people have prayed in the Psalms, God, you promised to bring justice, to vindicate your people from evil. God, it's time. It's time to do it right now to make good on your word, on your promise? Are we daily on our knees like the persistent widow, asking for justice even when it feels like no one's listening? And we will go through moments like that. Notice too that contending prayer is a part of our spiritual warfare against our adversary, okay, Satan, the accuser. This is essentially Paul's point in Ephesians 6. He says that part of our contending prayer is to pray against the schemes of the evil one who wants nothing more than to destroy God's people. And guys, we need that right now. I have not sensed more spiritual warfare among God's people, a spirit of disunity and, and even outright hatred among God's people as I have this past year. I have no doubt that the enemy is using this time to tear the church apart around politics, around the virus, around masks. And make no mistake, our enemy is real, and he will do anything to get us off course, anything. We should contend against him in prayer for God's people. 
Are we contending not only in our prayers, but, but in our actions too? Do we seek justice in our own spheres of influence? Do we advocate for the vulnerable, the single parent, the widow, the orphan, the minority? Do we use our time and our influence and our wealth for the vulnerable? Do we seek God daily to open our eyes to the darkness around us, the darkness that the system often overlooks or outright tolerates or even celebrates? Part of the purpose of this series around Jesus' kingdom and what it's like is to build our imagination for the kind of justice that Jesus promises to bring and that we can work with him now to make a reality. Are we contending for the kingdom with God's help? Are we holding God accountable to his character and promises as the saints of old show us to do? Because we know he's a just judge and he delights in our prayers. Okay, last one. We must trust in Jesus' kingdom. Trust. Even when it feels delayed, we must trust. And time, you'll notice, plays a really important role in this parable. Notice that the judge ignores the widow for a while. We don't know how long that is, but it's not an instantaneous answer, right? There's time involved. Jesus, I think, is implying that we will experience delays like that. We will not often or always get a quick answer to prayer, a quick solution to the problem, a quick remedy for the pain and the suffering. And yet Jesus can say at the end, God will not delay. His timing is perfect. It's really interesting to me that Jesus paints this dark picture here as a way to encourage us to not lose heart. When I read it, I was kind of like, really, Jesus? We could, we could use a little more optimism here, but he isn't wrong. Everything about the parable has been true, is true, and will be true of God's people as they navigate life in this time between before the kingdom is fully here. The parable is exactly what we should expect. Evil, corruption, oppression, delay, at least a felt delay. All of it is true, except we must never succumb to the belief that God is an unjust judge. This is what Jesus means when he says in verse 8, when the Son of Man comes, meaning himself, will he find faith on earth? He means despite all of that stuff, will we trust in and wait for the kingdom even when everything around us may be tempting us to give up on God and to lose faith in him? Jesus knows that nothing tempts us to lose heart than feeling like God is no longer with us and no longer for us. Can we get to a place where even in the darkness, we know God is a just judge, that he will put everything right? Will he find that kind of faith among us? It is not an easy task. And it takes a lifetime to cultivate trust like that. It really does. In fact, it's that kind of faith and trust that is really the goal of the, of the whole Christian life and discipleship. And there's a lot we could say here about cultivating that kind of trust with God over a lifetime. But at least part of that is about working daily to form our inner life around Jesus and his kingdom agenda. It's about meditating on his words and his promises in such a way that even the darkest moments cannot tempt us to lose heart and to despair. Which is why we want to start something new this year to help us to do just that. Not only because we know this might be a difficult year, at least for a little while, but because our mission is always to make disciples 
who remain faithful to Jesus. That's always who we've wanted to be and desire to be and work to be. That's why we are creating a new tool for our church called the formed.life. It is a daily resource that hits your inbox every morning to equip you to be consistently formed by God's word and God's ways with God's people. That's what we're hoping for, to be the kind of faithful followers that Jesus asks us to be in this passage. Every email you get daily will connect you to the formed.life website with small steps we can take together to cultivate our spiritual habits every day. Some days we'll have a video uh, with some teaching or articles to go deeper. Other days there will be guidance on spiritual disciplines in particular. Every bit of this tool is designed to provide daily steps to grow in our wholeness and influence in Christ. And our prayer, you guys, our hope is that the Holy Spirit would work through this resource to form us into more faithful followers of Jesus every day. And we're really, really excited about this. We hope you'll join us. The Form.Life, it officially goes live on Sunday, January 17th. And we'd love for you over these next several weeks to go online and to join us and sign up for this journey. All you've got to do is go to theformed.life and sign up. Once we go live, you'll begin to receive those daily emails in your inbox with spiritual practices to engage in. I personally would love it if everyone did this together as a church. I don't know why we, anyone wouldn't want to do this or at least try. We really think this is a catalytic idea and we're asking God to use it for his glory this year among his people at Christ Community. We know it's going to be easy, perhaps easier than ever to lose heart right now. And frankly, that's always been the case. Jesus knew that, which is why he not only gives this parable, but he gives us the gift of communion, his supper, where he reminds us in the cup and the bread that he sacrificed himself for us. That even in the darkest times in between, we remember his presence, his promise with his people, that we are not alone, that we can persevere with his help and that his kingdom truly is coming because we do it in remembrance of him until he comes again. So take a minute, grab the elements near you, and let's partake together.